0: Substance, make some noise wherever you're at. Come on, you made it to church. I'm so excited that you're here with us today. If we have not had the chance to meet yet, my name is Nate, and I I have the greatest privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Substance. It's truly an honor to be with you in this new year. Right now, we as a church, we're in a season of prayer and fasting, and I I just want to continue to invite you into that. We just started this week, and uh, and, and we have a slide for this. If you go to peterhaas.org forward slash fast, Pastor Peter has resources there, he has sermons there, he has a a lot of ways that you can jump in. I I just want to let you know it is not too late to join us. We are doing this together, and I actually believe in this season there is going to be breakthrough. I believe that God has a breakthrough for you. I believe he has direction for your life, and I want to continue to invite you into that. And let's see what God does in 2024. I I actually believe 2024 is going to be our best year, if if it's our best year spiritually, amen? Amen. As I jump in today, we're going to be looking at a portion of Scripture in the Old Testament. And every time we study Scripture, we, we find these stories. And many of the greatest miracles take place when someone has faith to believe that God can actually do the impossible. As we're going to look in this story today, the circumstances that these people were up against did not point to victory. And this, and, and this story we're looking at is, is actually the story of about a failed King named Saul. We're gonna pick up in 1 Samuel 14. And as we look at this scripture, we we find this tragic story of King Saul leaning into scripture, and we're gonna we're gonna create a dichotomy between Saul and his son. Jonathan, as we look here in scripture, we find that Saul is the the ruler of God's people. Uh, In fact, the Israelites had demanded a king, and so Saul becomes king. Uh, And every time Saul had the chance to be a great leader, he would actually allow fear to overtake him and he would completely fail. What's crazy ironic about Saul is his son, Jonathan. Jonathan was a God-fearing man. He was a, a, a faith-filled, dynamic son named Jonathan who really trusted that God could actually do the impossible, that God literally had more for his people than their defeat. And in, in many ways, Jonathan was the exact opposite of his father. We, we see in the context of the scripture in First Samuel 14, the Israelites are being oppressed by the foreign nation called the Philistines. At this time, the Philistines are are, are more technologically advanced than the Israelites. In fact, Scripture says that their army is literally 18 times larger than the few men that Saul has left to fight. We, We see in this portion of Scripture that the Philistines had tens of thousands of soldiers in this moment that are marching against the Israelites to wipe them out. In fact, in in the chapter before we're gonna study today in 1 Samuel 13, scripture literally says that the entire Israelite army only had two swords. How many know that is pretty bad odds against tens of thousands of people? And the only two people that had swords were Saul and his son Jonathan. So the big question in scripture is this, what is Saul going to do about it? Well, the short answer that we find in scripture is that King Saul is going to do absolutely nothing. The king in this moment turns into a complete wimp, actually, uh, in the very moment that he should have been mobilizing God's people to fight against the Philistines. He was doing absolutely nothing. Instead, the scripture teaches us that the king is camped out under a pomegranate tree with 600 soldiers simply waiting for his death. And, and, And in this moment, Jonathan sees what's happening with God's people, and he says, this is unacceptable. This is ridiculous. We have to do something about this. And in this moment, his faith was stirred, and he decided to sneak away from all of the Israelites and go check out what's going on. And so we see here in Scripture that that Jonathan had seen the impossible take place before. He had just come out of battle in in Geba against the the Philistines, and he saw God show up, and they defeated the Philistines there. He just knew that God could show up again. We see in this scripture, uh, in in a moment when Jonathan is witnessing the, the, the potential defeat of God's people, Jonathan went up to his armor bearer and said, let's sneak away from the camp here and let's go size up who our enemies actually are. And so that's what we're gonna pick up today in 1 Samuel fourteen four. Let me read this to you. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozaz, the other Sanaa. One cliff stood to the north in Michmash and the other to the south in Geba. Okay, so in this portion of scripture, we see the Philistines are camped out on the top of two cliffs. And and Jonathan comes up with this crazy idea. Check this out in verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of these uncircumcised fellows. Kind of a crazy insult here. Jonathan is saying, hey, bro, how about you and I go on a suicide mission? So check this out. Jonathan's faith in this moment is so great. He believed that victory of God could take place if just one person could agree with him. And then uh, we see here in in the rest of verse 6, he goes on to say, Jonathan says, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. What we see here in Scripture is Jonathan's faith was so great in this moment, he knew that when God is on your side, then victory has nothing to do with numbers. I just love the response of his armor-bearer in verse 7. Do all that you have in mind, his armor-bearer said, Go ahead, I am with you, heart and soul. In fact, in the Hebrew, this literally translates, I am so with you like your heart is inside of you. And so watch what happens next. I just love this. Jonathan and his armor bearer, they climb up this cliff and they immediately start taking out the whole entire outpost. And within minutes, the Bible teaches us that these two guys killed 21 Philistines on a half acre of ground. Listen, church, I am talking Vin Diesel, The Rock, back-to-back, kicking butt, taking names for the the mission of God's people. And, And when the Philistines witnessed this, they saw what happened with these two men. They were so struck in fear. And if that was not enough, the Bible says God shows up and started shaking the ground. Literally, an earthquake took place. And so when the rest of the Philistines witnessed what was happening, they began to freak out and panic, and they all ran away. The Bible teaches us just in a couple of hours, the entire Philistine army dissipated into nothing. This is such an amazing story. It's one of those stories in scripture where where God did the impossible. But where did that start? Well, it started with the faith that God can actually do the impossible when circumstances point otherwise. It was followed up by the faith of the armor bearer, an agreement with Jonathan saying, perhaps the Lord will show up depending on my faith with you. Could we overcome the enemy? Could we take them on and see what our God would do? And the reason why I love this portion of scripture that we're looking at today is I actually believe it gives us a fantastic framework of what it means to actually be the church. As we go into 2024, I actually believe that this is going to be your year of victory. I actually believe that this is going to be your year of breakthrough. I believe for you that this is going to be your year of of healing, But I wanna ask you today, do you believe that God can actually do the impossible? Do you trust God even though maybe your circumstances don't point to a victory and everyone around you feels defeated? I wanna ask you today, how many people are not trusting God and taking on the impossible because they feel more like Saul in our story than they do Jonathan, so to speak? Maybe for you, you've fought so many battles before in your life, and it just feels a little too overwhelming to keep going. Maybe for you, you've said things like 2024 is just going to be like last year. Maybe for you, you've fought so many battles in your life, the, the battle of addiction, the battle of anxiety, the battle of fear, the battle of discouragement. You've fought too long for your marriage maybe for you, you just can't face one more miscarriage. Maybe for you, you just can't deal with another apology that just has trust broken over and over again. Maybe for you, life just feels like it is stuck in a, in a permanent loop of disappointment and defeat, and you are just done fighting the depression of your world. I want to encourage you today that God has way more in store for your life, amen? Amen. I, I remember a time, uh, it's a curse word, I'm sorry, I'll just say it, COVID-19. I, I remember this time that we were all as a world thrust into a, a time of chaos. We as a church, I remember trying to figure out what, what to do with the team. And I, in that moment, I was just so thankful for, for Pastor Peter. He in many ways had that faith like Jonathan in our scripture today. He really believed that God was on the side of his people and we could do the impossible. And I I remember early on in that, that COVID crisis, we had a chance to do a video chat with a, a man by the name of Dr. Henry Cloud. And, and if you've never heard of Dr. Henry Cloud, and it, he's one of the most widely published psychologists in literally the world. In fact, he, had, he sold over 20 million books you maybe have heard of them, boundaries, necessary endings, and, and so in many ways, uh, Dr., uh, Dr. Henry Cloud is more like a Dr. Phil, but he's kind of a spirit-filled Christian. It's kind of cool, uh, but he did this entire teaching for us on what crisis does to a person or to say it another way how does a person behave differently in crisis did you know that when a person is in crisis their IQ function tends to drop by an average of 30 IQ points kind of crazy I I actually witnessed this it's the same thing that happened when my teenagers went into middle school their just brain just (laughs) went away I don't know what happened but seriously as I, I think about this uh This is why it's so important to get a lot of friends and accountability in your life before crisis happened because listen, uh, you just don't wanna be making big decisions in your life when you're not capable of thinking straight and this is why here at Substance, we are just so passionate about small groups and accountability. In fact, uh, the week won't go by where we won't talk about the importance of getting into a small group. You must have accountability in your life. And, and, and so it, this teaching was so interesting. Dr. Cloud began to unpack and he began to train us of once crisis settles in, a, a lot of people tend to get stuck in what he called a depression loop, and then they start to interpret all of reality through a few filters. And you may want to write these down today. We're going to put them up on the screen. Number one, everything is personal. Number two, everything is pervasive. And number three, everything is. Permanent. For example, everything is personal. Instead of uh, seeing our struggles as problems to be solved, we see the struggles as personal attacks. Instead of seeing it as my boss is trying to help me grow and get better, we see it as my boss is vindictively trying to harm me. Instead of seeing it as my friends are challenging me, we see their feedback as a personal attack on our character, We see it as they are purposely abandoning me. People begin to fixate on things like uh, all the difficulty that they feel up against. And instead of seeing it as a challenge to overcome, they begin to perceive it as a personal attack on your value. Uh, Instead of externalizing what's happening and getting a roadmap for growth, we begin to internalize it and think things like I just must be flawed in some way people begin to ruminate and think things like, I'm just a terrible friend, I'm a horrible boss, I'm a bad spouse. I, uh, they think things like, I should have never been trusted, or I shouldn't have dated that person, or "Or why did I help them out? I, I never should have got vulnerable with anyone. And it's like everything in their life turns from a problem to solve into a personal attack. Number two, everything is pervasive. When People get depressed, they they interpret everything as systemic. Maybe you technically only struggle with one or two coworkers in the workplace, but when the pervasive filter is over your eyes, you tend to think things like, all of my coworkers are dysfunctional backbiters. Typically, an objective person that there maybe there is really only one or two problems to work through. But when this crisis loop is on your life, that person begins to see everything as tainted and unsolvable. And pretty soon, they make huge, sweeping statements like the whole government is wicked, all my friends are fake, all men are evil, the whole country is going down the tubes. And I'm sure none of you made those statements during (laughs) COVID-19. And the third is everything is permanent. We think things like it's never going to change. I'm always going to be single. I'm always going to be addicted. I will never find victory. I'm always gonna feel depressed. Nothing will ever go back to normal. Have you ever felt any of those things in the defeated seasons of your life? But church, I want to encourage you with this today. We do not have to wear these filters over our eyes. We do not have to live giving into the crisis that's around us. And why is that? The, The truth is this, God always has a plan for our lives. In fact, get this, one of the names for God is the God of hope. The Apostle Paul writes this in in, in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. And he goes on to say, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see here in Scripture, God doesn't just want us to have hope for ourselves, and he doesn't just want us to have hope in tough times. Rather, the God of the universe has designed it like this. He wants us to be overflowing with hope. And why is that? Why overflow? Because he has designed us to spill out on other people. That is how he has designed his church to work. And that's what we are committed to do here at Substance. That is our goal in 2024 as a church. We want to be a church that says perhaps the Lord will act. A community of people that fights for others and fights the lies of the enemy to see others over to their victory. And I want to let you know this church is filled with people who have defied the odds by the power of God. But I, I think the reason that that many people get, get stuck in these crisis filters of their life and they don't overflow with hope is many times they just feel like Saul sitting under that tree. I just believe today, church, that God is bringing a victory your way. Even though it may feel like there isn't a way out, I want to remind you once again Just as we saw in this portion of scripture today, victory has nothing to do with numbers or resources. As I reflected on this idea of trusting God, I was reminded of a powerful story in church history. I was reading this story about a man named George Mueller. George Mueller was in England in the 1800s. In fact, in his lifetime, he ended up taking care of over 10,000 orphans. He opened an orphanage. He ended up launching 117 Christian schools in his lifetime. Powerful story. But early on in Mueller's life, when he was first getting started, uh, the day-to-day of running an orphanage was complex. The money was hard to come by, it was a sacrifice for him, an investment to maintain in a time that orphanages were so needed in England, so many kids were without parents, and each day they would just make it through. One day as he's running this orphanage, they simply had no food left in the orphanage. In that morning, they woke up for breakfast and Mueller had the orphans at the table The children were seated at the table, yet there simply was no food to provide for them. So in that moment, Mueller began to lead the children in prayer that God would provide food. He quoted Psalm 37 in his prayer saying, we will never see the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. Suddenly in that very moment, there was a knock on the door and it was the local baker. He, he said this to Mueller. I, I could not sleep last night. I kept getting the impression to bake bread for this orphanage. The impression became so overwhelming to me. I got up at 2 a.m. and I started baking this bread for you and he gave it to the orphans. Suddenly in that moment, There was a second knock on the door, and there was a large milk cart just outside the orphanage that had broken down. And the the milkman must unload all of this milk to repair his cart, and he decided to donate it to the orphanage. In that moment, the orphans had a meal for the day. Come on, church. God is always coming through. But, but as I look at this story, my, my favorite part of this whole story is that Mueller still made the orphans set the table. He, he took the position that the Lord will respond. He, he trusted that God had provision for them, even though their circumstances said otherwise. And I, I want to ask you today, do you actually trust God? Are you setting the table, so to speak, for the Lord in your life? Are you depending on God for your future, for your finances, for your physical body? Uh, Coming back to the story we're studying in scripture today, Jonathan believed that God would show up and it was agreement with another righteous person that gave him the faith to take on the impossible. We see here that Jonathan's success was not dependent on the opinions of the defeated crowd of Israelites or his defeated father. We, we see here uh, that, that Jonathan have faith to believe that God would actually do the impossible. But I just wonder how many people are stuck listening to the opinions of other defeated people versus partnering with righteous people around you to believe for the impossible. But let's be honest, when we're stuck in the defeated seasons of our life and we've given in to fear, and we're wearing these crisis filters over our eyes, it is actually just so hard to see hope for tomorrow. As I finish up today, I, I'm reminded of one last story from church history. I'm reminded of a man by the name of Adoniram Judson. He was a famous pioneer missionary. His story is actually pretty amazing. In fact. He was actually a, 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 die, he, he, a diehard atheist. He, he really had rejected religion in his life. And he was super intelligent, well-educated. And he really didn't want anything to do with Christianity anymore after growing up as a pastor's kid. And so in his adult life, his, his conversion was actually pretty radical. But that's not actually what he's known for. He ended up going into ministry. He was a gifted thinker. He, he had studied Hebrew and Greek. He, he had a passion for the Bible. He was a gifted communicator. He was passionate about the Great Commission and fulfilling the Great Commission in his life. And he ended up uh, becoming very well known on the East Coast in Boston. And he ended up uh, receiving a very prestigious offer to become a pastor of a very large church in Boston. But Adoniram just was not the type of person to stay in his comfort zone. And in, in fact, He had already made the decision in his life that that life is too short and the devil is too mean to live a comfortable life. And so he began to think in that moment, what is the toughest Christian mission he could give his life to? And so he came up with the idea to move his family to the other side of the world. And keep in mind in America in this time, being a missionary back then was not popular, nor was it safe. It was not something that you would ever come back home from. And he decided to sail across the world to India. He sailed to Calcutta and he ended up moving his family to Burma, right between China and India. In fact, he was one of the first missionaries to Christianity in Christianity in the Asian Buddhist culture. He was one of the first Westerners to master the Burmese language. And he began to work on translating the Bible. But but things were not easy for him and his family. They spent the first seven years on the verge of starvation. He ended up being falsely accused of being a spy. He was thrown into a prison for almost two years and we are not talking about some modern prison. He, the name of the prison he was thrown into was literally called the death prison. I'm talking about shackles on his wrists, tied to a bamboo pole and on his ankles. And every single night they would lift him up by his feet and let him hang there. Judson was beaten and tortured for 21 months. After his release, his skin was so horribly disfigured from the shackles and the bamboo for the rest of his life. While he was locked up, his wife had given birth to their daughter Maria. But not long after his release, his wife suddenly passed away. And shortly after that, his little daughter Maria ended up dying. And if that wasn't enough, he received delayed communication from the United States telling him that his father had died tragically. I mean, talk about a year from hell. There just had to be a moment in his life where he had to say, come on God, After all that I've done for you, I've given up everything for you. Why is this happening to me? And and church, I know a lot of us have had bad weeks or a few bad years, but come on, this is heartbreaking. He was doing this for the gospel. Imagine being in a foreign place where most people hate you, and you've sacrificed everything to be there, not just your wealth and your, your comfort, but he is literally carrying around the scars of unjust torture. And not surprisingly, Adoniram was thrust into a deep depression. He was so suicidal that he gave away all of his possessions. In fact, he went out to the edge of the village into the jungle and he dug his own grave. And get this, day after day, month after month, he would sit there in his grave thinking about his own death. For a very long time, he just was waiting for the pain to end. And it was in one of those days, he's sitting out in his grave and he looked up to the sky and he had an overwhelming moment with the Lord. In that moment, he suddenly knew that God still existed and had more for his life. But how many know sometimes it's just so hard to get your head knowledge to connect to your heart knowledge. It's sometimes it's hard to to to, to believe that God still has a plan for you. I mean, you know God has a plan, but every emotion is screaming otherwise. But there finally came a moment for Adoniram where he received a supernatural peace that surpassed all understanding of his circumstances. And he made a decision sitting in that grave that he would respond to the call of God again. He was known for saying, I will go forward. I will accomplish the work that you have called me to do. And he got out of his grave. He went back to the village and he got himself back on mission. Soon after this, he ended up meeting a dynamic Christian woman by the name of Sarah Boardman, who was actually in the very similar season of life. She had married a very famous missionary to the Asian region who, he died suddenly and tragically. And so God brought these two together to do mission work and they ultimately ended up getting married. And professionally, things really began to take off for Adoniram, get this, after 23 years, Adoniram finished translating the very first Burmese Bible. And by the time of his death, he launched over 63 churches, recruited 123 missionaries to Burma, in fact, Many have estimated because of his influence, over 50,000 Burmese people accepted Jesus Christ. In his lifetime, so many numerous missionary societies were launched that he helped get 2,700 people to the mission field. How is that for legacy and impact? But let's remember church, Hebrews 6.10, God is not unjust. He will not forget when you put his church first. So I think about Adoniram Judson and I think about the fact that he dug his own grave. And I think maybe for you, some of you feel like Adoniram, you feel like you've dug your own grave this last year. You feel like King Saul just sitting out under that tree waiting to die. Maybe for you, when you were younger, there was a lot of hope for your life, but now you're older and it just seems like there's no purpose for you. Maybe for you, you've allowed the crisis filters to overtake your marriage. You've, you've allowed it to overtake you with addiction, to overtake your person, your, your purpose and your, your your purpose for the future, your purpose for the calling of God on your life. Listen, church, there comes a point in every person's life where we must make a decision. Either I'm going to reinvest my life into God's kingdom and watch him multiply my life again and do the miraculous, or I'm just going to continue to die. But I wanna encourage you today, God has a great plan for your life. He does. I I believe that this will be your year of victory. And if we can respond accordingly, I just believe that God is gonna show up in a big way. Right now, I believe it. Today is your day of healing. Today is the day of freedom from all shame. Today is the day that your marriage begins to get restored. Today is the day that you step into your purpose. Today is the day that you begin to get sober. Today is the day that your addiction is not more important than your victory. Today is the day that you step into accountability. Today is the day that you begin to lead others over to their victory. Today is the day of salvation. Today, it's your day. And and I I say this today because I I just know that there are a few groups of people listening to me right now. There's a group of people that just need to experience victory in an area of your life. For some of you, it's just time to completely commit or recommit your life to Christ. And there's a group of people that God is calling you to begin to lead other people over to their victory. So I want to ask you, church, in 2024, what kind of church will we be? Will we be a church that shows up for others? a community of people helping others find victory, proclaiming healing in wholeness, in life, in destiny? Will we be a church proclaiming and believing perhaps the Lord will act? Will we go all in? I wanna say this as one of the pastors here, church, it is time. I declare it is time. No more excuses. Let's respond. Let's take off the crisis filters. Let's set the table for the Lord. Stop digging your grave. As I close today, in this moment of response, I'm reminded of the king in the Old Testament named King David. He was the king that came after Saul, known as a man after God's own heart. He took the posture that God would show up regardless of the circumstances. And he wrote this psalm in a moment that his own son is trying to kill him. Yet listen how David responded. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid when the wicked advance against me to devour me? It is my enemies and my foes who stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, the one thing I do seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. For For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon the rock. Then my head will be exalted above my enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful and answer me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my savior. And I believe that this is a word for many of you in this room today. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in the straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes. For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. And many of you can relate to that. But he goes on to say, I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed. As we move into 2024, what kind of church will we be? I believe there's a response for each and every one of us today. For some of you, it's time just to surrender your life to Christ, to begin to experience the miracles of salvation and miracle and provision and trusting God. For many of you in this room, you've sat back too long and waited for others to show up and do things, and God is speaking to you gently right now to step out in faith and believe for the impossible for others. For many of you in this room, it's the day that you believe for victory over your circumstances. Whatever your need is today, I believe we all have a step to take. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. I thank you that you are a faithful God who shows up regardless of the circumstances. And I believe in 2024 that you are ushering in healing and wholeness and life and victory to your people. So we as a church decide to trust you for the impossible, to believe for healing, to believe for miracles. We thank you, God. And I wanna give a moment for those in this room today and that you just felt a nudge in that moment that it's your time to commit or recommit your life to Christ. I believe it's time for a reset. You wanna go into 2024 and believe for the impossible. I wanna pray for you. And if everybody would join me right now in repeating after this, for those who are making that decision to commit or recommit their lives to Christ, would you join me? Lord, forgive me. I give my life to you. I wanna live for you. Lord, renew me today. Lord, lead me today. Starting right now and for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give it up for all that God...